0: Cool. I want to introduce, um, this afternoon. I'm going to say this afternoon because there's been two morning drops today. It's tough to get the hang of that. This afternoon, um, I want to introduce, uh, Mary Andrew. Come on up. These guys are amazing. Let's give them a huge round of applause. Um, They only get to come back to the States every two years, or they choose to because of the incredible work God's doing in Beirut. Um, And really, every two years, we are privileged to receive a profound perspective of the movement of God in places, specifically the Middle East, that we are inundated as Americans with a totally different negative narrative. And I count it an absolute privilege to call these guys my friends. In fact, I often call them spiritual heroes of the faith to me. Now, they're some of my best friends, but the way they've chosen to follow Jesus has impacted me at the deepest core level. Mary helped us plant this church 15 years ago, so yes. Yes all the crazy stories I can tell. Um, Mary is one of my best friends in the world, and uh, she's courageous. She's adventurous. She gets in trouble all the time. She doesn't like following rules. She makes fun everywhere she goes. And um, she's just inspired me to follow Jesus. And uh, Drew, man, Drew is a courageous, articulate leader who is hilarious and keeps me laughing nonstop. Um, And these guys are living a life that only Jesus could live through them. And uh, that's what I want in my life. Like, I want to live a life that only he can live, and it's profound. So it is an honor to have you guys share with us. Lord, teach us today more of who you are and parallel the journey in the Middle East with us following you by your spirit in Kansas City today. Give us ears to hear. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Nava. It's so fun to be here. Like Adam said, I had the joy of getting to be a part of this community for some years, and... um, one of the things, and I think I've said this when I've shared before, so you guys just bear with me, but um, what was like in, um, imp- deposited in me, what was empowered in me, what was released and like pulled out from me was just to go for it, to not let anything hold me back. And I felt so, so um, released by my friends here Adam, Dave, all, all the people that were in the beginning stages. And um, so that's my, and then just actually one of the things that I've just been feeling these last few days as as people have graciously made time for us and opened up their lives to be with us um, it's just what, it, like, what kind of nava in the story is that people come through here a lot. I know you guys get lots of amazing people, and like, what a place of life you guys are. What a place of like how my spirit feels restored. And it's just fun to be out in the Middle East, like pioneering something, and then come back and just feel absolutely restored in the deepest place, loved, championed, carried, prayed for. And we got to be with the core team. They prophesied over us, got to spend time you know, with different women and leaders. And it was just so deep in my spirit. So I just, my, my, my spirit thanks you for the way that you guys refresh and champion and love us. And, um, and also plug, if you join our prayer team, just feel free to email us back, because that's always really fun to get emails back in the, the land far away. Um, so yes, so here's the thing that's really amazing uh, the the father has swept you guys into this, you know, story of what this bigger than you would imagine, surprising, sometimes confusing follow the cloud story. And at the same time, you know, the father has pulled us into this incredible moment in history in the Middle East. And just like Adam was saying, one of the things we know the father has commissioned us is to tell you guys that the story is so different than what you're hearing. So in the middle of hearing about terrorism and ISIS and all this stuff, we actually are here to say that the Muslims we're interacting with are having dreams of Jesus. They're encountering Jesus, that movements are breaking out. And 10 years ago, when we went to the Middle East, um, there was movements, which means uh, disciple-making movements or church-planning movements, so houses and third-generation, so houses who have houses, disciples who make disciples, third, fourth, fifth-generation movements in China and India and Indonesia, but there was no known movements in the Middle East 10 years ago. We, we we felt God invite us to put our lives down for that, and now 10 years later, we know, some of them came to the surface, but we know of 21 like we would say movements is like five generations but we'd say three at least three generation deep 21 streams networks of believers who have you know house churches and it's just incredible so here's 10 years later so just just a picture of like Got the the water levels rising, and just the story of what's going on in the earth, and um, I don't know. I think the 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 one of the most beautiful like prophetic places we can stand in our in our age is that this is what the world's saying, this is what the news is saying, and we can stand and say, but the kingdom is so different. The story and the kingdom is so different. So where I mean, everyone kind of the reaction to us moving into where you know the Middle East Muslims Isis is like is it okay are you safe and our reaction is the holy spirit is moving in unprecedented ways we i get the privilege to lay hands and pray for like anywhere from like 20, 30, 40 women Muslims every week. Like who gets that? Like I get to pray for healings. I get to pray for them. Like what an honor to be able to sit and pray for these women. And so just the story that God's making right now is that we can stand against what the culture's saying. And um, it's an unprecedented time in in the, in the Muslim world. So so Drew and I are on a team of friends. We've been there for ten years, and we're again, like I said, we're there trying to raise up leaders who will then disciple their households and their friends and their families into knowing Jesus. And it looks like different—it has lots of different ways it can— Uh, look, but for me, I'm a nurse, and so I go into the refugee camps, and I'm doing clinics, and then in the clinics, I'm praying for people, and then after I pray for people, I see if anyone feels responsive, and I go visit them, and then I invite them to read the scriptures with me, and so from that process, we've had people come to know Jesus, and then start having their own groups and sharing. So a story that's really recent and fun, just to give you a a glimpse of what it looks like, is I was at a clinic recent, this is in December, so I was at a clinic in December, had a woman named Fatimik, uh in the clinic. She started, I just asked her some basic questions. And then she says, um, can you give me new blood? I really want a new life. And I was like, <laughs> uh, I've been doing this for six years, never had that question. So um, I was like, actually, I do know a way that you can have a new life, but tell me more about that. And she's like, I just, I just want a new life. I just feel like I need something new. And so I was like, so I was just kind of sitting, I kind of waiting on the Holy Spirit. I'm like, has some really hard things happened to you? And she was like, yes. And so I was like, okay, seems like we need to talk later. So we prayed for her. And then I visited her a few days later and just started asking her some basic questions and it comes comes out that she's been, had some horrible, horrible atrocities happen to her. Um, worst case. And um, so as I'm just, I do a trauma debrief with her. So I sit and I give three hours. We sit down together. I have a girl I'm discipling. We do a trauma debrief. It's really intense. Um, and then at the end of it, we say, um, okay, so here's the thing. Like you can, you can actually have a new life like you want. You told me you're desperate to have a new life. She said, I am, I'm desperate. And I was like, if I were you, I would pray in the name of Jesus. And she's like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. I'm like, okay, you totally don't have to, but you can pray in the name of Muhammad all you want. But if you want to pray in the name of Jesus before you go to bed and say, if you're real, show yourself to me will you give me a new life? Just just pray simple phrases like that before you go to bed. And she was like, uh, okay. I'm like, but you can also pray in the name of Muhammad for a while and then do that, you know, like whatever you want to do. And so she was like, okay. So the next week I visited her and I said, like, we talked for a while and then I'm like, hey, did you end up doing that? Did you end up praying in the name of Jesus? She's like, I did. Like, did anything happen? She's like, something happened, but it was kind of weird. And so I'm like, okay. She's like, three nights in a row have three different dreams. I'm like, oh, Okay. So she gives me the three dreams, and I'm going to, so, uh, I mean, the first one was just like this moment where she's in a lot of turmoil. There's a storm. And so I'm going to fast forward the two dreams because they kind of were just prophetic pictures of her life. Third night, third dream, uh, a man in white shining like the sun comes to her and says, why are you so upset? And she says, I think I, like, I, think I need a new like, life. I think, I'm, I think I have like, an issue in my life. And he says, drink this water and it will heal you. And she says, the water's like, like bubbling. So I like open up the scripture and show her when Jesus says, come to me, anyone who's thirsty and I'll give you, you know, rivers of living water. And she actually can't believe it. Like she actually is like, that's written and I dreamed it. And so, you know, she's like, this is crazy. So I'm like, I think that, you know, your first dream is, you know, is indicative of what you're actually in, the storm that the Father's promising you a new season and that he's not only for you, but it's for your neighbors and for your friends and for your family. And that Jesus is one." to give you water that can heal you. It's Jesus, right? You prayed in, for Jesus to come. She's like, it was like kind of too overwhelming for her. She's like, I don't know what to think. I don't know what to think. So I, I kept visiting, kept visiting her. She actually kind of like falls off. She's like, tells me she's not ready to keep meeting. And so, of course, I'm like, man, God, you came in dreams. That was crazy. Um, so I give her a little bit of time. Two or three months later, Phil, the Holy Spirit tell me to go back and see her. And I visit her and she says, why haven't you? Why have you come back in so long? And I was like, well, I feel like you kind of <laughs> pushed me away. Um, and she was like, uh, well, yeah, maybe I was. Um, and so then we, I, we opened up the scripture to do a, a discovery Bible study. And she stops us and she's like, can, Syria, can a Syrian Muslim become a Christian? And I was like, whoa. Um, and so I said, well, I think it depends on what you mean by that. So we kind of start talking about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means for her, what it means for a Syrian Muslim to follow Jesus. And so, as I'm talking, she's like, "I'm convinced. Just stop talking. I want to follow Jesus." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> so I'm like, "This is like, this is like, we're in." So this girl named Zainab's with me. She's a Muslim background believer. I'm like, "Zainab, why don't you start praying?" So Zainab's, I'm like, "Zainab's going to pray, and you can just kind of repeat after her." We don't normally do that, but this girl's like, "I just want to know Jesus." So Zainab starts praying this this prayer of just giving her heart to Jesus, and um, Fatima's following her for a while, and then Fatima just goes into her own prayer uh, that was so beautiful, and it was just this prayer of sur- surrender, this prayer of desperateness, this prayer of, Jesus, I actually am giving you my whole life. I'm convinced by you. No matter what, I want to follow you. No matter what my family says. And then she opens her eyes, and she's like, I'm so sorry. I just took over. It was something inside of me just came out of me, and I I couldn't stop. We're like, no, no, no. That's great. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit. So anyways, that's a glimpse of what I get to see and what the Lord's doing of just showing up and... Calling the most desperate, the most wounded, the most broken, the ones who have been forgotten, and He's calling people like Fatima, who everyone, in, you know, in the world's eyes would say like she's broken and needs twenty years of therapy for what she's been through in the war, into His kingdom to bring His life to other women, um, and so that's just—it's an amazing story that we get to be a part of.
2: Amen. I I love that story, and it's it is a lot of times because we feel like our primary role is to come alongside Arabs who are coming to Jesus. Uh, some of them have already, they're Muslims who have encountered Jesus in the past, uh, like Mary's friend Zainab she was talking about who was with her in that visit. And sometimes they are people in our life who are coming to faith, but this is one of those moments where, where Mary got to be there firsthand as Jesus is revealing himself. But the beautiful thing is that that, that incredible revelation of Jesus is happening all over the Middle East, it's happening more than we can imagine. Every story, every every six months, we hear a story that makes us realize that we know the tip of the iceberg of what Jesus is doing in the Middle East. So, so when you think of the Middle East, think New Apostolic Age, think Book of Acts. This is the hour we are living in, and and we and. and A lot of it historically began uh, post 9-11, which would have been the time when maybe for the first time in many Western Christians' lives, people started being aware that the Middle East was, you know, a region where millions of people lived, began praying for the Muslim world. So, so often the enemy uses these divisive moments that cause fear. And it's in the midst of that pain and confusion that Jesus is inviting us to pray and to get the Father's heart and to, to see his kingdom break through in the world the 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 civil the civil war in Syria unbelievable horrific carnage we've been spent the last 8 years in friendship with Syrian refugees and it is it is worse than you can imagine it is worse than anyone should ever have to bear and in the midst of of, of inexcusable pain and human suffering unbelievable injustice you have stories like this you have people that would have lived in this kind of in these bleak life circumstances but in the midst of this war they're they're dislocated and then they're sitting in this tent and they think their life is over and then Jesus shows up into their into their lives and changes them forever. So God is is so present in the midst of the turmoil and uh, it's just it's our enormous honor to get to live there uh, and to be a part of it. We are we are just blown away by the story Jesus has invited us into and so today as as I was thinking about what I was going to share with you all uh, I've been, I've been, as I've been reflecting on my last year and just the stuff that God's been showing me, my own time in the Scripture, I've been particularly drawn uh, to the first chapter of Mark. And did we get the slideshow working? Do you know? We do. It's there. There, there, there It is. Isn't it beautiful? Um, and I want to just, I want to just read this first chapter of Mark now. Mark is, of all the gospel writers, Mark had someplace important to be when he wrote his gospel because he really rushed it. Uh, he kind of just jumps from scene to scene, and I don't know what was going on. But, um, but you're going to see an enormous amount of story happen in a really short couple of passages. But when you read it this way, you feel the movement of the way Jesus began his ministry. And I, I think we can relate to these three movements I'm going to talk about uh, in this first chapter of Mark. And... Uh, And so I'm just going to read through it all in in one kind of flow. So just let the whole flow of the the narrative hit you, and then I'm going to kind of break it down a little bit. So one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son. You bring me great joy. Then, the Spirit, the Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness, where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals, and angels took care of him. See, he's in a hurry, I'm telling you. Okay, next part. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. So I want to talk about these three, this kind of three, step narrative here. And then this first part uh, to the next slide, it'll jump us back to the first one. We have this very familiar story, right, of the baptism of Jesus. This this is the moment where where Jesus's ministry begins. Jesus has spent the first 30 years of his life in obscurity, uh, and it's this moment where he comes to the the Jordan River, and, and John baptizes him, and he comes up out of the water, and the heavens split open and the voice of the Father speaks out over Jesus, you are my beloved son. And it's so significant, right? That I know that this this is this, this piece of sonship of identity is so dear to this family. This is so significant that Jesus' ministry, the kingdom of God on earth itself, starts here in this moment of the Father declaring his love, speaking Jesus' identity, that it could have started in any number of ways. There could have been any number of prophetic signs, but this is the one that launches Jesus. You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And as, as, we, as I've been meditating on this this summer, uh, I, was, I was reading a passage in Ephesians, and it was just hitting me how, how this, this passage is so central to who we are and the gospel itself. So in Ephesians 1, we have this. Now, picture as, so Paul here in this, in this passage is writing a letter to the Ephesians. He's, he's, this is his introduction. He's kind of wanting to set the context of everything else he says, which is the gospel, the good news, right? The context of everything, who we are in Jesus. And so he starts here, and as, just, as you're reading these verses, I want you to have, I just picture Paul in the back of his mind, picturing Jesus coming up out of the water, picturing the Father's declaration of love as he writes to these beloved family members in Ephesus. All praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. This united language. It's like, you know, it's it's the, the, the marriage language. The two become one flesh. We are one with him. Even before he made the world before anything existed, before there was creation at all, when there was God and God alone, he loved us and chose us in Christ. He thought of us before there was anything, before before there were stars in the sky, before there were laws of physics or time. He thought of you and of me, we, in our fullness, in our eternal place at his table. He thought of us before there was anything. And he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Right? We are right there. So when Jesus... This, we you can go to the, the next one here. When Jesus comes up out of the water, when the, the heavens split, when the Father declares his love, when the Spirit of God comes to rest on its true temple, we were there. We were in him. He was carrying you and me. God was thinking of us before anything existed. He was thinking of our Muslim friends, of the Syrian refugees we spend time with, of your neighbors and your coworkers. He was thinking of us before anything existed and the Father saw us in him When he came up from that water, when he says, you are my beloved son to Jesus, he's saying it over us. We were there. That moment was our moment. It was our identity. It was our beginning. We were in him. And this is the gospel. This is the truth. The more we think about and explore it, the more amazing it becomes. We cannot mind the depth of it. We can't fully accept it. It's beyond our capability. And there is a problem, though, which is, and maybe you've experienced this, I certainly have, I'll speak for myself, but I assume you'll be able to relate. As much as I can believe this gospel, there is a chasm between the landscape of my beliefs and the emotional landscape inside of me by which I live my life. That I, I can hear this moment, I can have, I came to faith in a worship experience, experiencing the Holy Spirit, and I felt this unbelievable moment of feeling loved and it, it redefined me and yet in my day to day life, my emotional landscape right is is insecure and defensive and egotistical and trying to prove something and doesn 't know if I fit in and, and is comparing myself it has my, my, my emotional landscape looks nothing like this right I believe a beautiful gospel, but inside of me i I'm living out a different emotional reality. No, not 100%. I'm being a little bit extreme, but you know what I mean, right? You know, you know that to this, this, this dynamic. And that's why this, I think, could be wrong. I think that this is why there is a second part to this story. So immediately after Jesus has this moment, right? I mean, this is such a huge moment. Jesus could have stopped right there and gathered a crowd. He could have, right? He could have, you know, made this enormous declaration, this is the time, everybody come join me, started calling disciples from John's, from John's crew, you know, he could have started right then, but that's not what the Holy Spirit does. Then, the Spirit then compelled him to go into the wilderness, where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals, and angels took care of him. Now, this is the place where I have been for a while, not the wild animals part, I'm not trying to make you know not trying to make the Middle East look bad. Um, the uh, this idea, though, is that the Spirit leads Jesus not into activity, but away from it, not into his destiny, but into the desert, into the place of isolation, into the place of disconnection, the place of silence and solitude. Uh, I think this is this is crucial, and Jesus is going there for us. We are with him. We, we are to follow him out into that place of silence and solitude. Now, I'm using this phrase silence and solitude. What I mean by solitude, I mean the place of disconnection from the activity and relationships of the, the external world around us, a place of disconnection. We, are in, we live in an, a grossly connected age we are connected to everything at all times. And, th- and in fact, the world around us is trying to connect us more and more intricately so that you, you, are, you cannot miss a notification, right? Solitude is the place of disconnection, of absence to the world that I may be present to God. And silence, silence is perhaps even harder. Solitude sounds kind of nice, but silence will drive you crazy. Silence is the state of quieting my own inner noise that I may stop creating thoughts, fears, anxieties, impulses, so that I can finally be attentive to the presence of voice of God and what he wants to say to me. And this place of silence and solitude actually requires physical time and space. We can't shortcut it. We can't pay it lip service. We can't pretend to be unplugged when we are actually checking Facebook. We can't pretend to be spending time with God when we are actually worrying about the bills. We have to physically, viscerally create the space of silence and solitude. And it's in that space that we begin to be fully present to God I had this realization. I've, I've been. Mary and I both have been in this enormous season of learning the value of silence and solitude in our lives. And if you know Mary and I, particularly Mary, <laughs> that's a big deal. <laughs> Disconnection from activities, quieting, qui- quieting anything. Really, I mean, it's a big deal, right? You back me up here. Okay, I'm not, I'm not outing you. You know, this is public knowledge. Um, it's, it's, it's been a very surprising season of our life. And we found that God has met us there in the most incredible ways that he's waiting for us, right? In the place of silence and salt in the place of, you know, in the place of, of being truly disconnected, of truly quieting our hearts before him. Even my, my I've, had, I've had consistent rhythms of times with Jesus for 16, 17 years, and I'm so thankful for that. But I have to admit that I'd reached a point in my life when even that, was me creating my own version of spiritual noise, finding the right worship mix that gets me in the right mood, reading the verses to feel like I'm doing my Bible study. And in the end, it's good. It's, it's better than a lot of alternatives. But there's a way in which God wants to call us out to the wilderness to truly, truly be present to him and him alone, to truly find him so that we can begin to hear clearly. Now, here's, the, here's, here's what I think is the true power of this thing. Johannes Hartl, who started the Augsburg House of Prayer in Germany, I heard him say this once and it blew my mind. He said, look, if you adopt, if you adopt a child off the street who has lived as like a thief or a a beggar child, you know, in sort of an Aladdin scenario, you adopt this child off the street and you bring him into your house and you sign the papers and you sit him down and say, you are my child, you are safe, I will provide for you, I will take care of you. They might get what you're saying. But instinctually, when they sit down at the table, they're still going to be looking for what they're going to put in their pockets for later. Because their emotional landscape is disconnected from what they, what they know to be true. And it takes so much time and presence to rewire it. And Johannes Hartl said, it is in silence and solitude that God begins to rewire the emotional landscape of our lives so that it begins to reflect the gospel we believe in our minds. That if we don't sit at the table, if we talk about God and do things for God and pray for God and read the Bible for God and do ministry for God, and at the end of the day, we don't carve out that place to get away and be alone with him and him alone, to seek him and leave behind everything else to be in his presence, then in the end, we will not, we won't, we won't have the experience of presence that rewires our emotions, and even the beautiful, good things we do will be us, will be our own form of shoving bread in our pockets for later, hustling for worth and for belonging and for security and for and for uh for identity. Right? And so this, the sound, the, the 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 wilderness is the place. Right where we re- we've already received our identity. We know who we are, but we have to feel it. And it's in the desert that God forms that, forges that into our being. Um, I, I had this realization reading this passage that, you know, it says that he was lured, here he was, sorry, the spirit led him into the desert to be tempted by the devil. The spirit led him to the desert to be tempted by the devil. And here's why, I think, theory, only a theory, is, I, you see, the thing is, the devil doesn't live in the desert, The devil is going to come to tempt you wherever you are. But the spirit wanted Jesus to face him in the the place of quiet, in the place of silence, in the place of disconnection from activity and people. Why? Because then we we can discern clearly the voice of the father and the lie of the enemy. In the busyness of life, there is so much noise. How do we hear when the tempter comes to us and says, oh, you want to be worthy? Just do a little bit more of that. Oh, you want to be valuable? You should tell this story about this and that. Oh, you want to, right, you, this, this, you want to feel secure. You should just, we have these, these, this noise inside of us all the time. And it's only in quiet we begin to say, what in the world is going on in there? That's not who I am. You, you've come to realize that you are not your thoughts. You have thoughts. But you are a child of God. You have authority over your thoughts. You have space where God can reshape you, Right? But in the noise of life, it's all just noise. It's all there. We even sometimes think it's God. And so we follow him into the place of silence and solitude so that we can be rooted in our identity and decisively reject the lies that would define us in any other way. That we can, that we can have authority over the one who would, who would undermine the power of the Father's declaration over us. Which then, having done that, Jesus, Jesus combats the enemy directly. He, he rejects the lies because he's in the place of silence and solitude, in the place of clarity. He rejects the enemy. And then, in our third and final step here, Jesus goes into Galilee where he preaches God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. The, Luke says it this way, after the temptation, Luke says that then Jesus went in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. In other words, having received the declaration of his identity, having withdrawn into the place of silence and solitude, having, having overcome the lies that would undermine the truth of who he is, Jesus can now enter the world as, a, as the one he was meant to be as the one who carries the spirit that changes everything, as the true temple, the, the fountain of living water that cannot help but bring transformation everywhere he goes. You know, I don't think that Jesus goes into, went into these villages and said, okay, my strategy here is to find a grumpy Pharisee and confront him. And then, right, he, there, was not a, there was not like a three-part plan. Okay, I'm going I'm to really make a mess in, in Capernaum, and then I'm going to go over here. And Jesus came, and the spirit flowed freely through him, and he... He simply brought the presence of who he was and it transformed the world around him. And the, and the oppressed came out of the woodworks and were set free. And, the, and people brought their sick to him. And the uh, the hard-hearted were confronted, but the hungry came even out into the wilderness to hear God's voice. Jesus, Jesus brought the fullness of who he was. He didn't bring a plan or a strategy or a tactic. Jesus did something different in every single situation he was in. But Jesus brought the power of the spirit that flowed freely out of, a, out of his identity, out of his calling, out of who he was. So I've been in, in this place for... Uh, actually, I left my water down right there, I think. So I've been in this place uh, for the last year or so. Mary and I have been in a, in a season of, of pursuing the silence and solitude, of, of facing some of those, recognizing some of those places inside of us Where, uh, where, where lies and deceptions, where false kind of uh, false concepts of where our worth and value came from get, get worked into the soil, and you don't even realize they're going on. But as we've set aside time, as we've we said, okay, we've we've done lots of we have we have lots of ideas, and we've exerted lots of effort. But we what we really need is more of God. What we really need is to meet with him and him alone and, and, and respond out of his heart for these people. As we, as we took a sabbatical last summer, which we were so blessed to be able to do. And uh, for, uh, to be honest, in past seasons, I wouldn't even be able to take a sabbatical because it would have felt like a waste of time. It would have felt like, but there's important work to be done. But we brought, God brought us to this place where we, we realized, okay, we actually need to step back from activity. We need to get to the desert, to the place of, of silence and solitude and be with God. And so we came off of the sabbatical and it was this incredible time of God revealing to me how much I had looked to ministry to show me that I was valuable. How much I anxiously looked at the people I'm ministering to, hoping they'd respond in the right way so I would feel like I'm doing something important for God and that I mattered and God began to just return me to this place of just how amazing it is just to, to be with Jesus. How, how, how we have infinite, uh, this infinite fountain of blessing that, that is ours just in the fact that we are his and that we are alive and a part of his story. And God began to just rework all that stuff deep inside of me. And so as I came back into my, into my regular life, as I re-entered from the place of silence and solitude, I, I felt... Conflicted. How do I how do I jump back into ministry, and and not and and not and not lose this this fresh revelation that uh, that God had been giving me, and so uh, one of the ways that God that one of the verses God gave me to anchor me in that season was John fifteen abiding, right. This idea that that as we abide in Jesus, He bears fruit through us, and so I began to say, okay, Jesus, I I I'm here in Lebanon, I'm doing my ministry, but Ultimately my, the, the place I want to exercise diligence is to protect my connection with you to, to cultivate a deeper awareness of you in my, in my daily life in, with you know, in my work so I'm a teacher in Beirut and I teach uh, at a, in a Muslim community at a Christian school so it's this unusual opportunity where I actually get to teach the Bible to Muslim high schoolers and, uh, and so I've been doing that for eight years and it's been an amazing thing and God consistently shows up and every year we have you know a couple of students who respond to Jesus but usually this doesn't happen in the classroom there's not these sort of demonstrative responses in in the public space because it's a a Muslim community and people are pretty shy so I'm I'm sharing my heart and different things and the students will come to me on the side and we'll we'll begin reading the scriptures together but they're usually pretty sheepish So here I was, I was returning to work and I was trying to maintain this place of abiding with Jesus, trying to cultivate this, this awareness of Jesus. And even as I interact with my students, the, the, the way he loves these kids and to be just present to them. And, uh, and so I'm going about my, my year and it was, you know, going fine. And I get to this one particular moment in the year in February where I, have, I do this unit on the miracles of Jesus, on healing. And I even share some of my own personal experiences with healing. And I do this every year, guys. Every year, I share these stories, and the kids are like, okay, that's that's pretty cool. You know, they're kind of, so, oftentimes they don't believe what I'm saying. They argue with me. Uh, they try to poke holes in my story, just like we've all tried to done with, we've all done this with other people's supernatural <laughs> stories. We're like, yeah, that's cool, but didn't, uh, coincidence maybe? You know. Um, so they're always doing that. They're playing skeptic to all, my, all these supernatural stories. Uh, but this year, I'm telling these stories, and I didn't do anything different. Uh, I didn't do anything different, but as I'm telling these stories, the, uh, at the end of class, the bell rings, and the kids start to leave, and about five kids stick around. I'm like, what, what, what are you guys doing? And they go, well, we were hoping you'd pray for us. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course, I would love to pray. You guys would want that? And they're like, would you pray for us? Yeah, of course. So we're all sitting around, and they begin sharing kind of their their aches and pains and the, the things that they're going through. And it, it kind of was amazing to me. I didn't know any of these kids were in physical pain. Um, and so I pray for some of them. And one of these kids plays soccer. As I'm praying for him, he, he kind of freaks out. And he says, I feel electricity in my foot. And I was like, oh, that's, that's awesome, man. Yeah, that's, that's the presence of God. He's like, it's electricity. I'm like, yeah, yeah but that's God. And that's just what, what you feel. It's his presence. You can feel lots of different things. And he's kind of, he's like, what's going to happen to me? And I'm like, well, you should just wait for it to stop, wait for the electricity to stop, and then go play soccer and see how it works. He hasn't been able to play soccer in nine months. So he's on the team. He had to leave the team. It was a big deal for him. So he goes, he comes back the next day. He's like, I don't know what happened. I played. No pain. I haven't been able to play in nine months. No pain. And I was like, man, that's awesome. God healed you. I was like, man, okay, I have a question. That's incredible. Would you would you care if I told the story to, to other kids? Now, I've had two students miraculously healed prior to this, and both of them were like mortified like that anyone else would know about it. Because they're they're in a Muslim community and they just are like, please don't tell this to anyone, you know. And this kid though, this kid goes, "Uh, of course you can tell people it's awesome. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, totally glad you see it that way. So so the next day, I'm telling the story to a group of students and they just straight up don't believe it. They're like, no. Uh uh-uh. uh, it's a different class. He's not in the room, and they just—they're like, no, no, no. We know him. That didn't happen. And then one of the guys is like, hey, get in here. And I look, and sure enough, the same kid wanders into the classroom. It's totally—he's on a, his classes in a different part of the school. I don't know what he was doing there. He wanders in, and he's like, I'm like, I'm like, would you mind telling them your story? It felt like I had planted him. It was kind of embarrassing, but it worked. He wanders in. He's like, he's like, yeah, I, uh, you know, he tells the whole story. I felt electricity. And then, you know, now I'm totally healed. So the, they're all astounded. They, they can't believe it. You know, they're totally shocked. So the bell rings. Another kid comes up to me. He's like, hey, I'm just like him. I'm on the, I'm on the, the soccer team and I can't, I can't play. Would you pray for me? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So, so I pray for him and he's like, I don't feel anything. I'm like, that's, that's fine. You know, maybe you never know. I'm trying to give him my caveats. Uh, I can pray for you later. Maybe, maybe something will happen to you later today. You know, it's, uh, no telling what's going to happen. So the next day he comes up to me. He's like, that was so crazy. I was walking home, and as I was walking home, my legs just started to wobble. And then, I, so I ran home, because I was scared. So then when I got home, I laid down on my bed, and my legs started to feel like fire. And then, I got up, the, uh, today, I, or this morning, I went to the gym class, started playing, and my knee is totally fine, totally healed. And I was like, that's amazing. So I started telling, so I'm like, can I share your story? He's like, okay. So. I'm in a, so I'm sharing these stories in the biggest, rowdiest class in the school. There's 40 kids in this room. They're 16 years old. So I'm sharing this story. And, and up until this point, I've just been like, because, God, you know, in, in the past I would have been sort of, you know, anxious. Am I doing, I don't want to mess this up, you know. But God just brought me to this place of just, you know, man, this is just fun. It's beautiful to, to see God show up in these kids' lives and blow their worldviews. And he's so near to them. And he sees their, their simple little aches and pains. And you know, he just had me in this different place. So I was just having fun with it, sharing it with my students. And uh, and, and this girl is kind of a skeptic. She's in the front row. She goes, enough, pray for me right now. And I'm like, right now? There's 40 kids in the room, you know? And she's like, right now. I'm like, okay. We pull up a chair, start to pray for her. Um, everyone's quietly leaning in. And it's, it's an odd moment to be sitting in front of 40 Muslim 16-year-olds pr- doing prayer ministry. It's really weird. They're, like, staring. They're just, not, no one closes their eyes. No one has any, like, decorum, you know. They're just, they're staring at me. They're staring at her. <laughs> and so it's kind of distracting. You just got to tune it out. And so, uh, and so I get done, and I'm like, what, what, do, you, what do you feel? And she, and she kind of moves her shoulder. And I know everyone in the class is waiting for her to say, didn't work. She moves her shoulder, and then she pauses. And she goes, one second. And the second she does that, the second she hesitates, the class explodes. Now, this is Lebanese classroom. They're up on their feet. They're yelling. They're, like, scared. They're kind of just in, a, like, a panic, the whole room. And they're like, no way, no way. This is not happening, no. And so she's like, she's like cool, it. I don't know what's going on. And then she runs out, out of the room. And so everyone's like, what just happened? So then another girl, I look down, another girl sitting in the chair. She's like, all right, yeah, my turn. So, so I'm like, okay, what's your deal? She's like, my knee hurts. I'm like, okay. So I start praying for her knee and then I feel this moment of, I feel like I'm supposed to stop and I just feel like I'm supposed to begin to speak the father's heart over her. So I just start telling her, you know, God wants to heal your knee and this, it's a, it's, it's a sign of his love, but the real treasure is what he thinks about you. And so I start sharing this over her and she stares at me for a second and then she just starts bawling (laughs) in front of the whole class. And then at the class, all the yelling stops. Everyone's looking. Everyone's like, what did he do to her? What just happened? What did he do? So, so then she wanders out of the room. And so literally a bunch of kids are lined up. And I'm like, okay, we got five minutes left. People are grabbing me as the bell rings. And they're like, I got to talk to you at the break. Can I talk to you privately? I want you to, you know, they're wanting me to interpret their dreams. They're wanting deliverances. It was bizarre. So I walk out of this classroom. And I thought, what? And as I leave, they start chanting, best class ever. <laughs> so... I walk out. I walk out of the room, and I'm like, "What in the world just happened?" So I walk down. I walk into the next classroom, and I said, "It's supposed to be." I teach English as well, so this is supposed to be an English class. So I come in, and I'm like, "All right, guys, get out your books." And then these two girls, the first two girls, bust in, and they go, "Can we tell them?" And I'm like, "I don't know what you're going to tell them." And they just begin telling this class how they were completely healed, how their pain was gone. This girl's like, "Look, listen." I went to doctors, I had disc pain, and I, I feel no pain. I've not felt this relief in, in years. And then, and then they're like, they just run out. And the class is like, they're all like, you know, halfway to getting their books out from under their desks. And they're like, what, what is going on? And I'm, like, I'm like, oh, don't worry about it, guys. I'm, I'll tell you about it later in the week in Bible class. And they're all like, no, no, no. We want Bible class now. And I've never, definitely never had this discussion with a class. Uh, and I'm like, and I'm like uh, well, well, next week we have one on Monday. And they start, they, they start pounding the tables, Bible class, Bible <laughs> class. So, so I'm like, okay. So I'm like, well, well, basically, you know, they, I just pray for God. And as I'm saying what I'm going to do, I set a chair, or these guys bring a chair in the middle of the room, and then three teenage guys start pushing each other, fighting to get in the chair, because they want to be the first one who gets prayer. They're like literally wrestling. I'm like, I'm going to have to pray for you for the injuries you're about to incur. So um, all, all day long, people are stopping me, asking me to pray for addictions, ask me to pray for, for broken things in their home life. And I just, I just had this moment of like, wow, God, you just turned my school into the hungriest place in Beirut. These Muslim teenagers are just desperate for God. The, 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 late, the next day, it was, a, it, it was kind of the day of the week where we have this... Um, this club that meets during the breaks, and we invite the kids in the school from any background to come, and we do exercises to help them experience God's presence. So we'll read psalms, and we'll... It's just a way to... Uh, obviously, they have a different tradition of how they think about prayer, but they're, they're deeply hungry for the presence of God and for a, an experience with them. So we just create a safe space for them to open their hearts and lives up to God. And, uh, and so normally, we have like 8 to 12 kids, most of them Muslim kids, coming to that, uh, to that event or that club. So that day you know, instead of eight or 12, there's 15 that are waiting for me when I walk in the room. I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. So my teammate and I, we start kind of trying to start the thing. And then three more kids come in and six kids come in, eight kids come in, 15 kids come in in a big group. And suddenly there's 40 kids during their recess and they're squeezed in this room because they're sitting there on the playground and someone realizes, hey, it's that Bible club thing. Let's all go to that. It's suddenly like what God is doing felt more exciting to them than hanging out with their friends or playing basketball or or any of the more typical things they could do during their break, so I've got we've got 40 kids in the room, and they're all just like eagerly waiting to 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 see what's going to happen. And so we did this exercise where we were talking about uh, we were reading together with them the story of the woman who reaches out and grabs Jesus' garment, and uh, we began to talk about the this idea of, that we can reach out for him in these desperate, impossible situations, and, and we don't know, and we we have we have no idea how these things can resolve. We have no hope. But in our desperation, we can reach out in faith and we can just grab hold of him and he can show up and do the impossible. And so we, I said, okay, how about everyone in this class? We're just going to pray. Everyone in this, cl- in this room, just imagine the most desperate and possible situation in your life right now. And so they're all doing that. And then we just began to pray for Jesus to release his power in the, in the desperate situations in these young people's lives. Two days later, a girl comes up to me. She's actually in a, in a, in a Bible study. I do, you know, when kids are... Expressing hunger, I help them do discovery Bible studies with their friends. So she's in a discovery Bible study. She comes up, and she goes, you're not going to believe what happened to me. She said, when when we were doing that exercise, I thought of a family friend who's been in a coma for six weeks after a car accident. And the doctors don't know if he's going to wake up. And so I just just thought of him, and I know his family's suffering, and I just was thinking about him the whole time that we were praying. And then when I got home that day, my mom was so happy, and she said, you're not going to believe it. But our friend woke up. She said, today... And she goes, yeah. And so the girl says, well, what time? And she said, ah, around 11 o'clock. And we were praying at 1045. Six weeks, and in a moment, this kid comes back to life. She tells the whole family the story. No one believes her except his brother. And she begins to, to, to share about what God's doing. And her brother was deeply impacted. And so these kids begin to go out and share these stories with others. It was this unbelievable, uh, just just totally unexpected uh, outpouring of hunger and of, of God touching these young people's lives. I had a, a student named Yusuf who uh, basically at the beginning of the school year didn't even believe in God. And he came up to me after all this and says, this has changed my life forever. I mean, these kids were, were deeply impacted. I, I had a, a girl who uh, had a back problem. She lives in a very difficult home life and she has these sort of debilitating back problems. The doctor said that it doesn't, won't ever recover. They can treat symptoms, but she's going to have to m- learn how to manage nerve pain for the rest of her life. She's 16 years old. And she asked me to pray for her. She came back cr- crying, freaking out. And she goes, uh, this is, I'm, I, I don't even believe what I'm about to tell you. She said that the, the doctor got my x-ray out, and he looked at it, and he came up to me with my two x-rays, and he says, I don't know what to say. He's like, this, you ha- your, your condition does not recover on its own. There is no, there is no path to recovery. There is only, it's a degenerative, but your, your most recent x-ray, your, your back has, res, has been restored and, and, and you might still feel some of the lingering issues, but they will go away because your back's now in alignment and the, the things that were causing the nerve damage are going to stop. And she was crying. She's like, I couldn't believe it. And frankly, neither could I. This... This, this, this is like my normal life, but suddenly God showed up in this unbelievable way. And as I, as I went to, uh, you know, as I kind of withdrew and processed that, you know, regularly with the Lord, um, I, it was very poignant for me because I felt God showing me that, with, if, that, that this was, that he wants to do that through my life. But he needs me to come and truly be with him, to truly abide with him. To, to let go of all of these this junk that pulls me back from his, my, his calling in me, so that, not so that I can go out and do something crazy, but so I can go out and be who I truly am, to be truly present, that it's the Holy Spirit's love and work that wants to flow through us. And it's in the place of silence and solitude that God encounters us, that we become present to him alone, and that he frees us from the temptation of the enemy that would lie to us and say that we are less than the, the sons and daughters of God. Um, so that's been the, the journey that, that we've been on in this last year, and we've, we've been blown away as we've seen God show up in fresh ways in our family's lives and the lives of our friends, not as we think more or try harder, but as we retreat more and, and let our souls rest in God alone more deeply. Um, and I think that's an invitation for all of us, that you all were made to carry the Spirit of God in power. The, there is no, there, I don't think there's any biblical reality that there, is, there are people that were made to, to carry the Spirit of God in power, and there are people that were made to, to cheer for those people, right? Every one of us, sons and daughters of God, we were in him when the Father said, you are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we were in him when the Spirit descended on him like a dove and remained The Spirit of God remains on you. Your hands are the hands of Jesus. Your words are the words of Jesus. Your prayers are the prayers of Jesus. You are in him, and he is in you, right? And the power of the Spirit is flowing through your life and will continue to flow through your life to manifest the love of the Father everywhere you go. Amen? we're off the script.
1: I know. No, just because I know there's lots of families on mission. And I think this is just a nugget. This is really fun. One of the things Drew and I were feeling at the turn of the year was like, just this longing to like, we moved deeper into the Muslim part of the town. Uh, That's a long story, but we moved deeper this year and we felt like we just want to burn for Jesus. We want this neighborhood around the school. We're three minutes walk from the school now. And we just wanted... Like, yeah, we just want to burn deeper and and for the, you know, for worship to go up and for our neighbors and everyone around us to know Jesus more. So we just did a simple thing where we invited, like, we have a, our guest room is, we have two bedrooms or three bedrooms, one the girls, one for us in a prayer room, uh, guest room. And we start doing prayer Monday through Thursday, 30 minutes, 6.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Worship, kind of just burning for Jesus. And th- right about six weeks after this, Drew has this crazy Holy Spirit moment after that, we, from this moment, meets a guy five-minute walk from us who's had a radical experience with Jesus named Muhammad. He's like envisioned to bring Jesus into the neighborhood, wants to meet with youth, withdrew. We just start seeing everyone start coming in, more students coming into our home, more neighbors coming into our home. From this just moment of us being, being faithful, praying together as a family, the first time that our daughter, who's nine, has like had moments where she actually gave a Bible to one of her friends. She prayed for some of her friends. We started putting the names of our kids' friends up on the Wall, start praying for them. Our five-year-old has a answered prayer. Our seven-year-old has a prayer answered. It's just super, super easy and fun and practical, and all of you guys, families on mission, can do the same thing and just see how the Lord takes that seed in our in us and in our kids and starts putting it and blessing in the you know places around us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love it. They just leave me without excuse, Druza English teacher, and Mary's a nurse, and they spend their weekends serving refugees just like we could, and they try to spend thirty week minutes in prayer with their three daughters. I have three daughters. It, it's it's not the we cross a line in the world and become supernatural people. We're just sons and daughters of the Father, surrender to Him, living in the life of the Spirit. But the radical invitation, and they didn't know what we've been sharing in this whole fall of the cloud journey. It was first Doug saying. In every storm, be with God. And then it was me out surfing with my daughter, have friendship with the Father. It's time to go to silence and solitude. They didn't know that message. And then it was next Graham saying, In the wilderness, we overcome idols and temptations and complaints, right? And here he comes with this message. Could it be the Lord speaking to Nava and following the cloud? There's a clear invitation. And I just want to give it, and I I want you to just wait for a moment and stand into it as an act of faith. I love, uh, Jesus would always ask people to do something with what they've heard. Do something. And so I want to wait. I believe there's an invitation, and I'm going to give the same silly invitation I gave on Father's Day, which is to pull away and share our hearts with the Father in silence and solitude. A commitment to carve the space out radically to detach and disconnect from the lies that assail us and share our hearts intimately with the Father and let the Father share his heart back for us. So I just want to wait for a second. And if you're willing to say, I want to commit to this, I've now heard this four times over the last three months. But if if I'm going to commit to this by your grace, Lord, I I don't even know what it means. I don't even know how to do it. But I want to say yes to silence and solitude. And maybe that's 10 minutes. Maybe that's whatever you're able to do. It's not for super Christians. Whatever the Lord's asking you to do, but saying, I want to respond to this. I hear the Lord's voice and I do not want to turn away from it. I want to walk with it. So I just want to wait in the silence for just a moment. And as you're ready, stand to respond to that. I'm not going to be looking. It's before you and the Father. And then I'm going to pray for grace over us, all of us. Even if you're not ready to respond to that, I'm still going to pray for grace there's the, there's the catch. Um, but it's good. Let's just wait for just a moment. We have all heard the voice of the Father proclaiming beloved over our spirit. And every one of us wants the outbreak of the power of the spirit in the kingdom of God around us. But you are our exceeding reward. We don't want to just believe it in our minds, and we don't want to just see the outbreak of action. We want to know you, Jesus. We want to know what you love. We want to know what you hate. We want to know what you feel. We want to get inside of your intimate thoughts for us. You're the treasure of our life. And there's so many voices, and sometimes we can't make sense of our insecurities, of what is our desires, and our flesh's desires, and your desires. But Lord, we are a people longing for the wilderness. We're longing to be disconnected from the noise, and detached from our idols, and set into the delight of the Father, not just in our minds, but in the depth of our soul and spirit. And so we are praying for grace, grace, grace on Nava to come deep, be beckoned into the heart of God, sharing in silence and solitude, quieting outer distraction and quieting the inner voices until we hear only one voice that is our great delight. Because in your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand is pleasures. This one thing I desire, God, that I may seek your face, see your beauty, behold you in your sanctuary. You're my exceeding reward. So let grace come upon the house to know you and to know your heart. We want to be a people marked by the first commandment before anything else. To love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. To be consumed with the heart of God. This is our prayer before you, God, as Nava. Our name means to find rest as at home, and to be made beautiful. You are our home. Before we go and do it in the world, we want to be it before you, God. Give us our name, Nava, to find our rest in God alone, to find our home in God alone, and to be made beautiful in the secret place before you. There is no life apart from this place. And so, God, everyone who's standing and anyone who doesn't feel like they can, grace to all, Strength to all to know you first. Oh, we love you, Jesus. And thank you, God, that two wild activists seeing disciple-making movements in the Middle East have come with the weird message of intimacy in prayer and silence (laughs) to show us again. You are speaking to us in our city. It is the year of prayer. God, thank you. Empower us. Let's stand together and hold hands I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer. It's so awesome to be the family of God. We pray this prayer every week. And I love it because the prayer only came about because the disciples saw Jesus pull away to a solitary place. And when he got back, they were like, why do you keep doing that? Teach us to pray. And then he taught them this prayer. So what a better response to pray the Lord's Prayer in response to Jesus in solitude praying. Let's pray together. Our Father...